Well, good morning, Sunrise. How are you guys doing today? Good, good. It's uh, chilly, but sunny spring morning out there, right? So um, God gave us a, a, a touch and taste of warmth, but we're back to reality of Michigan, right? So um, anyway, my name is Dan, the worship pastor here in the small group, the community life director, and it's good to be here worshiping with you again. We were um, away last week, but it's good to be back with you. Singing and being a community and worshiping together is... Um, as all of our voices here together, all of you, your voices online, or you guys are with us in spirit, are just being a community and um, singing together and worshiping our God together. So why don't you guys stand with us as we, as we prepare to sing and sing these, these words, these words from scripture, house of the Lord, as we join together and sing. Let's do this. the God who evermore will be, cause he opened the prison doors, he parted the raging sea, my God, he holds the victory, sing it out, our joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet, we shout out your praise, there's joy in the house of the Lord, Surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung up on that cross And he rose up from that grave My God still rolling stones away There's joy in the house of the Lord There's joy in the house of the Lord today We won't be quiet Yes, we shout out your praise There's joy in the house of the Lord Our God is surely in this We're the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. it again, here we go. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Here we go. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely this place we won't be quiet we shout out your praise there's joy in the house of the lord there's joy in the house of the lord today and we won't be quiet we shout out your praise there's joy in the house of the lord our god is surely in this place we won't be quiet we shout out your praise
Christ is my firm foundation. He's the rock on which I stand. And everything around me is shaking. Oh, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. Cause he's never let me down. He's faithful through generations. So why would he fail now? He won't. He won't. I've still got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense So I won't be going under I'm not held by my own strength Cause I built my life on Jesus Yeah, He never let me down He's faithful in every season So I Yeah. 
seeing hearts right now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You touched the lepers then. I feel your touch right now. You are the same God. You are the same God. Yesterday, today, and forever, God. Your faithfulness is never ending, God. today, today, and forever. You say in your word, God, that you do not change. God, we can look over our own lives right now and be overwhelmed by counting all the ways that you've been faithful to us. Each one of us who walked in this morning is our own unique faith journey. And we see how you've been faithful with us. And how amazing is it that we are a part of that great cloud of witnesses who can testify that the Lord keeps his covenant of love to a thousand generations. That same God who gave David courage to face Goliath stands with us today. That God that answered prayers and made his way, made the way for children to come back to him. It's the same God as today. God, you are trustworthy. You have proven yourself. We're so grateful for your faithfulness, your grace, and your love, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Well, good morning, Sunrise. How are we doing today? Good. Who had a good weekend, right? Did anyone in here have a good weekend? All five of you, 30 of you? No, I'm messing with you. Messing with you. Hey, we are so glad that you are here. If you're a guest here with us, we just want to say thanks for joining us today. Uh, we're honored that you would hang out with us. We think we're pretty cool, uh, but... We think you're really, really cool for hanging out with us, so thanks so much. Hey, just a quick announcement this morning is this. Do we have any Marvel movie fans in the room anywhere? Any Marvel movie fans? How about DC movie fans? Any DC movie fans? Okay, cool. We don't have to pray for you. We, do, we don't want to pray for I'm sorry. We'll pray for you. We'll pray. I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. Well, hey, on Sunday, May 7th, can everyone say May 7th? We are going to go see the brand new Guardians of the Galaxy movie at Celebration Cinema in Granville. So here's what this means. At 2.10 p.m., that gives you enough time to go home after church to eat lunch and get ready, and it'll get you home in time with the kids at by like 5 or 6 so they can still do their homework, right? Right, 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 cool. So we're going to go see the brand new Guardians of the Galaxy movie. This movie is really open to parents, to students. If you're like, hey, I don't have a student, but I want to go see the movie and come hang out, we invite you to sign up as well by Wednesday, April 26th. That is this coming Wednesday, all right? So here's why we say this Wednesday, because we want to buy all of the seats together as we can. If you still sign up after April 26th, you absolutely can still come. However, we can't guarantee that you... We can't guarantee that you can sit with us, right? And that would be a little bit sad. Some may prefer that. Some, may prefer that. Some, of, some of you are like, Corey, I don't want to be anywhere near you at the movies. No. Anyways, we hope that you can join us. It will be a great event. So that is what I have for this morning. At this time, I am going to invite the directors up because they have a few things that they would like to share.
Good morning. Is this on? Yeah, just hold it close to your good, mouth. Good morning, Sunrise. My name is Dick Reimick. I'm on the Board of Directors. I have the privilege of serving with an excellent group of people who are kind of numbers guys and gals, and we just manage the budgets, the books, and the finances. So I'll turn it over to Doug. And I sure like sitting there better than up here. So it, uh, without a doubt, and, and we're trying to um, just share with all of you where we are as a church, where we are in budget world and that kind of thing. And uh, uh, we have a number of um, things we'll share on that regard. And I'm going to let Dick cover a few issues and we'll be back. Okay. Thank you. Um, first, I want to celebrate just how God has provided for us over the life of Sunrise through the starting without a church home for many years and the excellent pastors we've had, Pastor Dave and Tim and uh, Bob and Dan, and now we're blessed with Pastor Dennis. And so we've been truly blessed with staff, pastors, elders, directors, and God has provided. He provided an opportunity years ago for us to purchase some land, and we did that with the hopes of eventually building there someday. But God had different plans, and he opened up the opportunity for actually us to kind of win this building. It was a competition, and we were able to get it. There were other churches competing for it, but God provided it to us. And then that opened up the opportunity that this would be our home. We could sell the land, and we've done that. And we've invested those funds. Uh, we made a good profit on it, but we need to reserve those for some capital improvements. We've done a couple things you may have noticed. The old house was torn down. That had to be eliminated and replaced. We've done a lot of new windows. We have more windows to go. And we also have additional things for the facility. Uh, eventually, the heating and cooling units on its last legs. Dan Newcoop has saved this thing, brought it back from the dead many times, and we thank him for that. But we know its days are numbered. We're going to have to replace that, and that's significant. Uh, roofing, um, many other items that we look to long-term future, those capital big expenditures, and we really want to reserve those funds for that. So the current year, looking at that, um, our current budget year, you know, one of our pillars is to be authentic and transparent. We want to share with you, um, things are not going great from a budget standpoint. Um, since COVID, it, it hit us hard. It hit many churches and many organizations hard. And so attendance has been down, giving has been down. And we've struggled the last couple of years. We've reduced budgets where we can, and we're continuing to reduce budgets. But it, it's, we've cut it back about as much as we can. And this fiscal year, um, we've started our fiscal year June 1st of every year, and it goes through May. So we're essentially wrapping up a fiscal year here by the end of the month. And some of the numbers on that budget are not great. Um, we budget for about 24000 a month. We've been taking in about 17000 a month. So the quick math, that's 7000 a month. Extended over the 11 months, we're at 77000 short. And that's at a budget level. In actual uh, shortage, we are short about $60,000 because the staff has done an excellent job of cutting costs, and we're operating below budget right now. But we still have a significant deficit. We've bled our bank account, checking account down some, and that trend cannot continue. You can't continue to lose business like that. So we're um, looking at opportunities to be as efficient, use the facilities best we can. One that opened up last year was, uh, some of you may be aware, others may not, but we have a Christian, small Christian school meeting here during the week, IDLC, Imago Day Learning Center, and they have staff and students that are using our classrooms and facilities for their running their school out of. They've been doing it this school year and we'll uh, continue up through the through May here and then be off for the summer. Uh, they have long-term goals of facility but chances are they're not anywhere close they may want to rent again next year. So we're renting the facility and getting some funds that way. Um, I think that's about it. I'd just like to Turn it over to Doug and have him summarize a few key points too. Um, Dan and I, Denny, Sue, uh, I think Corey's on a guard weekend, and I'm not sure Emily is here, but we're all available for any questions you may have uh, after the service. We'd be happy to answer any of those. You know, kind of in a summary, 
we would just want to be very honest with everybody. And, um, you know, this isn't all different than home. If your income changes at home, you adjust what you can to try to meet um, all the bills and various other things that are coming in. So we're attempting to do that same thing. So we're just asking that you consider if you can give any more, that would be more uh, appreciated. That said, we know there are thousands of hours every year that are given to this church to yeah. make God's church work. And right. uh, for that, we are incredibly grateful. Um, you've done a wonderful job. And, uh, you know, in, in our life, you're, you're there, our church family along with uh, so many others. So um, we start a new budget year in June. And uh, we're optimistic, and we hope that, uh, you know, all our needs are met, and we know God will provide. So uh, with that, um, I think we're about there. So. Just one quick, one quick summary. Just, you know, there are some, we don't want this to be all doom and gloom. There are some positive signs. We've had attendance picking up. We've had some new partners joining. You know, there are a lot of positive things, and God has provided for us in the past, and we're confident and trusting him to provide for us in the future. So, thank you. Right. Thank you very much. Um, so, I am thankful for these, these men and others because I don't mind standing up here. <laughs> um, but the hard work of doing the 501c3 stuff of Church in America takes numbers people. Um, the other thing, you guys, I, I think we just want to say is that there's no guilt or shame here either. This is to let you know what's going on in the interest of being authentic and transparent, right? So there's no guilt, there's no shame, because I read somewhere once that the God that we serve owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Now, as a farm kid, I think that means that he can take care of our needs. So thank you. Can we thank these gentlemen for their hard work? Thanks, guys. All right. So with that, why don't you stand and greet one another, uh, and then the kids can be dismissed, and in about three minutes, we'll come back together and gather around the script. All right, everybody, if you could find your way back to your seats. This morning, we're going to be uh, continuing our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 21 through uh, 32, and today we're going to shake things up a little bit, and I'm going to do something that some of you are going to find super refreshing, and um, your hearts will cry out, it's about time, preacher. Others of you um, will be like, what are you asking me to do? Um, But we're not going to put the scripture up on the screen today. And so that means you're going to have to get out your little magic box that you can surf the internet with or get on social media or, you know, you can make phone calls on those things too. Um, Get out your Bible app or there's actually old school copies of the Bible in the back. We actually have those. They make them in paper form. So Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be asking you to follow along in your own copy of the Holy Scriptures. Words are slippery. Some of the most slippery words that we have in English are two words that we use quite a lot. The word heart is a lot like the word love. We know what it means when we use it. Uh, We know the semantic range is broad. Um, We intuitively know oftentimes what's being said when we use words like love. You know that I don't love pizza the same way that I love Amy, or at least I hope you do. You don't know that I'm, you know that I'm, I'm, I'm talking about different things when I say I love my dad and I say I love the Cincinnati Bengals. My love for the Bengals is so much greater than, <laughs> I'm not, I have been for most of my life, but the last two years I'm not. Um, dad, just teasing if you're watching. You see, we get this, right? We, we get that we use words in different ways. We, we get that oftentimes when we talk about the word heart, we're not talking about the muscle inside of our chest that, that pumps blood. We, we understand that in English, the word, the word heart conveys something much more broad than simply this 
organ that squeezes and powers our circulatory system. We understand that when we talk about the heart, we're talking about aliveness. We're, we're talking about something that makes us human deep inside of ourselves. When we say that the player has heart, we're saying that, that they have desire and grit that overcomes their lack of size or skill. When we say that a person wears their heart on their sleeves, we're, we're saying something about the fact that they demonstrate outwardly what they feel on the inside. If you're watching a, a, a British period piece, we might see or hear someone say, take heart, my friend, and we know that that's a word of encouragement to a person who may be in a state of despair. When we say that someone is hard-hearted, we're talking about a person that is emotionally and relationally calloused or jaded for one reason or another. When we are trying to convey that a person's actions may have been less than stellar, but their intentions were right, we say that their heart is in the right place. When we have something sad to communicate, we announce that communication with a heavy heart. We tell our child as they go through their first breakup that nothing hurts quite like a broken heart. If you're a person that grew up in the evangelical world, you heard these words all of your life that all you need to do to go to heaven was to ask Jesus into your heart. And on and on and on it goes. And all of these phrases have something in common, but there's a slight distinction, but, but, but the commonality of all of them indicates this. When we talk about the heart, we're talking about who a person really is on the backside of their eyeballs, who that person is that looks out at the rest of the world and experiences people and places and things from a unique individual perspective. This morning as we, we continue, as we jump into to this passage of Scripture, um, continuing on our conversation about the series of Jesus said, we're actually going to talk about something that Jesus didn't say. The words, it's all about the heart, don't appear in this passage of Scripture, but it's what it means. Today's message is, is rooted in three complex movements of the scriptures that all talk about what it means to have a rightly aligned and properly disciplined heart. Each of these movements contains an essential phrase that anchors an instruction that Jesus is trying to get to the heart of the people to which he's teaching. You have heard it said, Jesus says, but I tell you. You've heard it said, Jesus will say in this passage, that you shall not murder, but I tell you that anyone who becomes enraged with his neighbor will be subject to judgment. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a person lustfully has already committed adultery in their heart. And you have heard it said, And I realize as I say these words, there may be some of you that may be, be, be triggered by memories. And I want you to hang with me and to not check out. Because when Jesus says, you have heard it said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of, of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. Jesus is saying something to each and every person that's under the sound of his voice, that they had heard it said, but he was telling them something new, something different, something deeper, something much more powerful, something, as we're going to see, much more loving, much more grace-filled, and much more hopeful. In the first movement, we see that Jesus does something powerful, and that's this. He shifts the focus from the physical act of violence to the heart behind the violence. Look with me at verse 21 of Matthew chapter 5. 
You've heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder. Jesus is going back to the sixth command here in the Ten Commandments. Number six, and anyone, um, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry, literally to become enraged with his brother or sister, will be subject to judgment again. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Here the word is Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom. Now there's several things that are, that are here, but Jesus begins this statement, begins these, these three movements by talking about people that that are enraged with their neighbor. If your neighbor holds a grudge or harbors ill will, maybe a way to say this, justified or not, there's a calling that Jesus is going to, to make to people. He's telling us not to, to harbor violence in our heart because the violence that we harbor in our heart is just as damning to us as if we do violence to one, one another. As a matter of fact, it's, it's damaging not just to us, but it's damaging to our relationship with God. He, 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 he continues to unpack this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, this is an act of worship, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Uh, this is kind of an idiomatic phrase that, that basically means your neighbor harbors a grudge against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar and go first uh, and, and reconcile, make peace for the purpose of restoring relationship. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things, you guys. You can extend forgiveness to a person, but, but reconciliation uh, demands the restoration of relationship, okay? First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with an adversary, essentially a hostile enemy here, who, who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid every last penny. Jesus here is pressing on his followers that you have heard it said that you should not enact murderous violence against somebody. But Jesus is asking the question, what about your heart? What happens when your heart is turned Toward violence. What happens when you're enraged with someone? You see, the reality is that it's not the act of, of murder or violence that displays our brokenness. It's the enragement that indicates that our relationship with others have been broken. That's right, that our relationship with God is broken. Our relationship with others are broken. That we don't see others as, this is what Jesus is doing, is he's saying, listen, you don't have to murder someone to denigrate the image of God within them. Do we see people, my friends, as beloved image bearers of God, as people who bear his image and for whom he has died, or do we often see them as enemies to be defeated or obstacles to be overcome? Far too often, I fear that that's what we do. We, we see people that we don't like. We see people that stand in our way. We see people that make us mad. We see people that cut us off as we're leaving the Costco and give us the one-fingered salute out the window as people that we would like to drag out of their car by their ears because they're bald and they don't have hair to grab. <laughs> if you're here last week, you'll, if you're here last week, you'll get that. You see, I think Jesus knew something that, that enragement The only way that that can be dealt with is through a surrender to the work of the power of the Spirit in our lives. You see, the problem doesn't start when we murder. The problem starts is when we look at another person with violence in our eyes to see them as something to be defeated or to be put down. Jesus continues on, and he says that you have heard it said, but I say to you, 
Jesus in this second movement, he shifts the focus from physical acts of unfaithfulness to the heart that leads to unfaithfulness. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, the seventh commandment. Just one down. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully or with covetousness in their heart has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh, here, Matthew uses the, uh, the masculine and feminine pronouns as the one who is lusting and the one who is lusted after. Uh, but ladies, I don't think you get a pass on this, right? So you can just go ahead and assume that Jesus is talking to all of us here. Can I get a witness? Yes, okay, good. Um, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, the scripture says, and throw it away. <laughs> um, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Again, the valley of Hinnom. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose part of your body than for your whole body to go into the valley of Hinnom. Okay, this is the third or fourth time that he's used this. Where was this valley of Hinnom and what is Jesus talking about? And why such graphic language? Does he really mean this? Uh, you know, I mean, seriously. I just got to be honest with you, folks. There would be a whole lot of people without any eyeballs walking around if we took this super literally. I think what Jesus is doing is he's pressing us toward, right, the heart of the matter, that lust is an ind indication that we ourselves and others are broken. It's that when we lust after one another, we look at one another as uh, we look at each other, again, not as image bearers of God, but as something to be consumed that you are there for my consumption. And Jesus is saying, this is not how this works or how this ought to function. This is not the way that you have been, have been made. And, and he talks about this idea of being thrown into hell. And, and I know for most of us, right, we hear this word hell and we probably think, right, we think demons and we think pitchforks and we think flames licking up and we think all of those, those images that, that are basically, they come from, from Greek mythology and those kinds of things. But Jesus is actually talking about a real place. It's a, valley of, uh, it's a valley that's just outside of Jerusalem. And there were all kinds of heinous things that took place here over the years. In Old Testament times, it was a place where pagans would come and they would worship pagan gods and they would actually per participate in human sacrifices, the sacrifices of their children. It was a place where human death took place. It was a place where the image of God was distorted. It was a place where, where people lost their lives for the purpose of the appeasement of the angry and petty gods that they served. And Jesus is saying, when we have murderous hearts or when we look lustfully at each other, we are descending into the valley of Hinnom where the image of God is distorted and broken and lost. In Jesus' day, it had become sort of a garbage heap. It had become a dump. And, and, and so they say is that there were always fires there that were burning and consuming the garbage. And I wonder, I wonder if what Jesus was saying is when he used this illustration, when he's talking about Gehenna here, when he's talking about the Valley of Hinnom, he's saying, this is what you do. This is where your heart goes. It goes to the garbage dump. It goes to the place where things die. It goes to the place where the lepers flee. It goes to the place where things are consumed. It goes to the place where things rot. It goes to the place where Romans would take unwanted children and leave them lay. This is where it goes. Where's your heart? Is your heart in heaven or is your heart in hell? Since I don't think it's an overstatement to, to ask ourselves or to think about it in this way. When we look at another person with violence in our heart or with lust or covetousness in our heart, our hearts are descending to a hellish place. They're descending to a hellish place that breaks us and denigrates the image of God in another. The third, the third movement, Jesus... Um, descends and weighs in on a particularly thorny theological issue in his day. Jesus gets really practical in this third movement. And he tells us in these verses that 
by teaching, he teaches us that holiness is more about the heart than it is about transgression of or adherence to a legal code. Now, I don't know about you, but I was raised in a, in a context where being good was holy and being bad was unholy, right? It was always about, you got to be a good boy. Oh, Dennis, be a good boy. Don't hit your brother. Be a good boy. Don't watch that on television. Be a good boy. Don't go here with these people. Be a good boy. But Jesus begins to, to flip the script here in verse 31. It says, it has, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. And here Jesus is pressing in on this, this hot cultural topic. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, uh, this is directed toward men, you guys, because in the, according to Jewish law, men were the only one who could write certificates of divorce. Um. This is likely what was happening when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman. Again, similar context, not, not identical. But he talks about you've had five husbands and now the person that you're with isn't your husband. There was probably an issue there because at some point someone refused to write this woman a certificate of divorce. You see, men held all the power when it came to, to divorce and remarriage. And so that's why Jesus is directing it toward, toward the men here. Um, except for sexual immorality, he makes her the victim of adultery. Literally, it means you make a path for her adultery. And anyone who marries her, anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, a, a little bit of a Greek nuance here, but the passage here is in the, is in the passive sense. And, 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 and literally, it basically means it signals that an action of another has made possible the situation that a person finds themselves in. That the person who has sent away the one is actually making them and their future partner commit adultery. So, so Jesus drops in this hotly debated um, theological topic, and he, he basically is, is setting himself up in, in this conversation between two rabbis, Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel. Rabbi Shammai um, took a, a, a pretty um, liberal approach to this. He understood some indecency in Deuteronomy chapter 24, talking about the reason that a man could write his wife a divorce, a certificate of divorce, or, or put her away. Um, he saw this idea of some indecency um, uh, was for, I'm sorry, he took the conservative uh, view, um, where it was only for adultery, that this some indecency really was talking about marital unfaithfulness. Rabbi Hillel, which was another uh, well-known rabbi and one of the favorites of some of the uh, particular Pharisees of that day, um, allowed for a much broader range of interpretation. He basically said that if, if a woman could be divorced for about anything, uh, one, of the, one of the most famous is if she spoiled the dinner. If she burned dinner, you write a certificate of divorce. See, this third movement, Jesus presses in and he steps in. And folks, I think this is where it gets really interesting for, for me and maybe for us, because so often we, it's easy, isn't it, to think about murder in our heart and adultery in our heart. And, and, and again, I got to confess that sometimes for me, this, this passage has not been a life-giving passage or a grace-filled passage, but it's been something where I've just kind of used it as a club against myself to basically say, see, Dennis, this just shows you how wretched and how terrible you are. And I don't think this is what Jesus is trying to do in this passage. I think he's trying to teach us that it's more than, holiness is, is about more than just simply holding to a legal code, right? Because it's been said, but I tell you, Jesus presses into this Levitical law or this, and this law about marriage and he begins to ask questions that are connected to these first two instructions that he's given. You see, people in, in, in Jesus' day, they were arguing over whether or not it was right for a woman to, or a man to divorce his wife for almost anything or simply for adultery. And Jesus was saying, the fact that you're even having this conversation betrays the fact that your heart is in a hellish place. The fact that you would even want to divorce your wife for spoiling the dinner displays that your heart's in a hellish space. 
that you're looking to use the law to punch down on a person who's already in a vulnerable place in society. He's telling the people that even, even those who think that they're pursuing holiness, that they are not guiltless, that they're culpable and that they bear responsibility for the transgression that follows. You have heard it said that all you have to do is to write a certificate of divorce, but I am telling you that if you do this for a reason other than marital unfaithfulness, you have a heart that's in a hellish spot. Her guilt is on, on you. The guilt of the one she marries is on you. Well, what in the world does this mean to us? Well, I think the thing, folks, that it means that we, we need to re- begin to ask the question of ourselves is, that, well, where is my heart? Where is my heart as I, as I move through life? Where's my heart when I'm obeying what the law says? You see, folks, obedience to the law for the purpose of punching down is not holiness. An unfaithful husband who quotes verses to his wife about submission and forgiveness is not holy. A mother who terrorizes her disobedient children by quoting Bible verses about obedience while she beats and starves them for the sake of managing their behavior is not holy. A bully who intimidates and terrorizes their LGBTQ classmates at school all in the name of telling the truth and defending the Bible is not participating in holiness. An activist who threatens a business owner's child because the business owner refuses service to someone based on a deeply held religious conviction is not holy. And folks, you may be looking at me and you may say, oh, Dennis, you you know, well, this, that didn't happen very often. Folks, those four things I heard about last week. Last week. You see, we can justify all kinds of things and all kinds of, of questions, but I think that Jesus was driving, Jesus was driving something in this section of the, Herman, the Sermon on the Mount that we have to consider just as much as his first listeners had to consider is that where's your heart? You see, my hands might not be covered with blood, but is my heart murderous? Have I descended to the Valley of Hinnon? I might not have invited someone else into my bed, but is my heart adulterous? Maybe I've been keeping the letter of the law, but am I really pursuing holiness? Am I really seeking and following the way of Jesus? As the worship team comes, I I think a confession is probably in order at the end of a sermon like this. Yeah, don't get too excited. It's nothing like that. For most of my life, I think I've misunderstood this passage. For most of my life, I think that I've read it as an indictment that elicits shame. That it's just one more testimony of the fact that I'm not good enough. But I don't think that was necessarily Jesus' intention. I think that this passage is an invitation for all of us, all of us who at times have murderous and adulterous hearts. All of us who at times obey for the wrong reasons. To come out of hiding and to bask in the light of God's love and God's grace. You see, what if this passage isn't so much about, what if it's not so much an indictment of the sinner but a wake-up call to the self-righteous? What if it's an invitation for people like me, right, to raise our hands and say, I get it. I get it because there are moments where that old murderous heart creeps back in. And the question, right, for me, is that am I going to indulge that or am I going to lay that at the feet of Jesus because he has taken it on the cross? You see, what if the purpose isn't to crush us under the weight of guilt and shame over our sin, but rather to invite us to offer up to God what he really wants? Our heart. 
our want to, our desire. Not an invitation to feel smug and superior about our obedience, but an invitation with great sobriety and love and honesty, with great sobriety and love to enter more fully into His grace. To see and to realize that there's room for you and there's room for me. Even when our hellish hearts get the best of us. Even when we lose our minds just for a minute, pulling out of the Costco, that there's still hope, there's still healing, there's still love. Because he first loved us. You see, you've heard it said, you shouldn't have any other gods before me. You shouldn't make any idols. You shouldn't take the name of the Lord and uh, God in vain. You need to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But Jesus has said to us, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You've heard it said, honor your father and mother. Don't, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't covet. But Jesus has said to us that the second is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself because it's all about the heart. I'm going to close this morning with a, a new song. Um, I've been wanting to do this for a while. I know we just introduced a new song on Easter a couple weeks ago, but um, I thought this one would fit real well with the, the sermon this morning. So um, just listen to the first part of it, and as you feel comfortable, join us. A song called Gratitude.
guys can stand with us. Don't you get shy on me, lift up your song, cause you got a lion inside of your lungs, get up and praise the Lord, come on my soul, oh don't you get shy on me, lift up your song, cause you got a lion inside paragraphs that, that preceded these, uh, the verses we looked at today give us something very instructive that I want you to take with you. Jesus says this. He says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. And everything we looked at today is Jesus telling us how we can fulfill the law and the prophets. And it really comes down to this. When your heart is tempted to descend to hell, realize that Jesus has taken that hell upon himself for you. That he has given us heaven. And that that's what we take to the world. So as you go from this place, when the murderous heart raises its, raises its ugly head, Surrender that to Jesus, for he has crucified it on his cross. When your adulterous heart raises its head, give that to Jesus, for he has crucified that upon, upon his cross. When you and I are tempted to mistake holiness for something that really isn't holiness, let us understand that Jesus has showed us the way. And that the way is love. Love for God and love for our neighbor. Amen? Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you again for the directors, for their word, for what they, what they have done. Um, those of you that are in the partnership class, that will be starting. Let's, let's say we'll start that at like 1130-ish. That'll be back in the student center. You can make your way back there. If you are an elder um, or a director, I believe, maybe toddle back there around that time to introduce yourself. Um, and... Have a great week. Go in his peace.